Well, good morning, friends. It's Thursday, September 9th. This is podcast number 370. We are in Colossians, and I hope you're enjoying it. Colossians chapter 1, um, and uh, we're looking at our two verses that we're memorizing. Verse 19, Colossians 1, 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Colossians 2, 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Bodily, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. Now, go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 and try to work through them. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the of the truth, in the word of the truth, the gospel, so what is the word of the truth? It's the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So we're going to try to look at those verses and kind of comment on those verses. Let's go to our featured teacher who is Wearsby, and and, uh, and let's look at what he has to say. The good news of the gospel was not native to their city. This is imperative that we understand. Colossae was, uh, was a pagan city. It was full of all kinds of other religions, but there was no Christian witness and no Christian testimony. And how did that Christian testimony get there? Get there? It got there by one person. So it 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 has to be brought, right? The, for the you know, we Romans chapter ten says, "How will they know if they don't hear? How will they go if they're not sent? Right? And if they're not called, how can they go?" Um, Epaphras was a, a citizen of Colossae. Let's turn to Colossians chapter four. Colossians chapter four, verse twelve. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always. Uh, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's one of my new favorite verses is mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear witness, I bear uh, him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. So here we have this this guy from, from, uh, from um, Colossae who goes to Ephesus to to for whatever reason, right? I don't know what reason he goes there, but he goes there for the reason, and he has um, this encounter. Let's look at Acts chapter nineteen and verse ten. Acts chapter nineteen and verse ten. This is a divine appointment, and uh, Paul is in Ephesus. He's ministering to many. In verse ten, he remember he went into the synagogue first. He spoke for a while. Um, verse 8, he says he entered in the synagogue, spoke there for three months boldly. And then in verse 10, it says, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so we hear this. And, and from that, we see that Epaphras comes to Christ. And Epaphras has a relationship with God, and, and, and he doesn't hang around there. We don't know how long he's there, but he gets discipled, and he goes back to Colossae to to um, start this work. 
Uh, once Epaphras has been saved, he shared this thrilling news with his relatives and friends back home. Perhaps it would have been exciting for Epaphras to stay with Paul in Ephesus, where so many wonderful things were taking place. But his first responsibility was to take the gospel to his home city, his own home city. Look at Mark chapter 5. This is one of my favorite stories about uh, of Christ, because he does this huge work in in chapter 5, in the life of a demoniac, a man who was a mess, a man who was violent, a man who was uh, out, of his, out of his mind, and he run around the tombs, and they tried to re, re, uh, restrain him, and they couldn't, and, and uh, he, he has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus miraculously changes him and delivers him of demons, and he wants to follow Christ, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. And he begged him, he begged Christ earnestly not to uh, send them out of the country, um, and uh, and. And 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 he sends these demonic uh, demonic spirits uh, demons into the pigs. And then in verse nineteen, after all this has done, verse nineteen says, "And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has m- had mercy on you.'" And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis, which means ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So he grants the request. Listen to this. He grants the request of the demons to go into the pigs to to run down the hill and they die, right? And then in verse 19, the demoniac who's at his fabulous deliverance has a request and Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no, you need to go home. He's all cleaned up. He's all healed up. And he ends up going home to his home city. There are people who are called to stay. There are people who are called to go. There are missionaries, but we're all missionary in our hearts or should be for our family, our friends, our neighbors. But in this particular situation, we see that Epaphras had this powerful encounter. It changed his life. And he and he shares it. And he could have stayed in this uh, environment, but he chose to take the message that um, that had changed his life. And he goes home to his home city and makes a difference. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has solved the problem of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. Don't let anybody tell you that the gospel is anything different than this. It is good news, and it's only good news because there's bad news. And the bad news is, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's bad news, and then there's good news, and the good news is the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world, and he provides salvation. It's more than just loving people. It's more than just caring for people. It's more than just meeting the needs of people. That's a social gospel, and it's all good, but it all needs to flow from the gospel. The word gospel means good news, and unfortunately, some people uh, witness as though the gospel is bad news of condemnation. We're yelling at people. We're screaming at people. We're yelling, uh, repent, and, 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 and is repentance part of it? Absolutely. But we need to be telling people this message. God's not mad at you. He's madly, madly in love with you. He's madly in love with you. Oh, Gary, how can you say that? Explain Jesus willing to die and explain God willing to give up his son if he's not madly in love with a lost and dying world. In our witness, we should remember to emphasize the good news of the gospel. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians 15. Paul speaking to the Corinthian church in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, not a gospel, not a part of the gospel, the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. What is it that your foundation is and what is it that you're standing on? You're standing on the good news of the gospel and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now, there are people who just come in and they have an emotional experience and they never uh, really have a relationship with Christ. Uh, they look the part, but the reality is that there is nothing there. And so they just believe in vain. Verse three, for I've delivered to you of, as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according, uh, in accordance with the scripture. Okay, that's the gospel. Now, the proof of the gospel is in changed lives, but it's also in the resurrection appearance, appearances of Christ. He, uh, that he was buried, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at, at one time, most of whom are still alive, so go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, who's the, his brother, changed his life radically, and he became the, le- the leader of the church. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as one Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus is alive. That's the gospel. There is a social gospel. There is meeting the needs of people. There is caring for people. The Bible calls us to love one another. It calls us to give. It calls us to care. But all of that needs to come from this relationship we have with Jesus Christ because of the price that he paid in our lives. That's the, that's the theme. It's, this theme is this, it centers on a person, Jesus Christ. Christianity is a person. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's not a church. It's not a bunch of people. He died to to save people. He died to create this new organization called the church, but it is about Christ. The theme of this entire epistle is about the um, is about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The fact that He is above all things. He is uh, surpasses everyone with His with with His greatness and with what he did and who he is. He is surpasses all others. He is not even with other gods. He is God who came in the flesh. And so the preeminence of Jesus Christ, and he is certainly preeminent in the gospel. He's not just preeminent in the world. He's preeminent in the gospel that we share. He has to be. He has to be. If we're going to, to bring about um, the 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 salvation of our friend our friends and our family and people we don't even know, it's going to be because we present Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. The false teachers who had invaded the church in Colossae were trying to remove Jesus Christ from His place as preeminence, and people have been doing it for two thousand years. They've been trying to push Jesus from who He is. They've been trying to dethrone Him. Oh, they'll mention Him. As a good teacher, they'll mention him as a good person. They'll mention him as a social worker. No, no, no. Jesus was exactly who he said he is. John 14, 6 says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Those are his words, not mine. 
So they were trying to remove him from his place of uh, preeminence. But to do this was to destroy the gospel. It is Christ who died for us and who rose again. The gospel message does not center in a philosophy, a doctrine, or a religious system. It centers in a man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the key, and that is what we need to see. Verse 5, it says he's, it's the word of truth. What's the word of truth? It means that it came from God and can be trusted. Look at John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus came from God and he can be trusted. And Jesus' words are true. John 17, verse 17. It's one of the first scriptures I think I memorized years and years ago. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is true. Jesus says, wash them, cleanse them. How? By thy word, because thy word is truth. There are many messages and ideas that can be called true, but there's only one truth. There really is. People say, well, my truth is my truth. No, no. There's one truth. What you believe is what you believe. There's only one truth, and that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. Only God's word can be called truth. Not all religion can be the same because they all differ. How can they all be correct? That's like sending your kid back to school with a multiple test question of 20 potential answers and you send them back to school and tell the principal, well, they're all right. Well, no, they're not all right. There is an answer that is correct. They all look similar maybe, but there's only one correct answer and that correct answer is the truth of the gospel. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Talking about Satan, he's, he, he says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. The father of all lies. Satan is the father of all lies. When he lies, it's not out of character. Why? Because he is a liar. And so much of that that is being presented today is based on lies. And it's man's way of trying to dethrone Christ. And we have to hold to the truth. Jesus is the truth. I said it before, John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Jesus is exactly who he said he is, or he's a liar and a lunatic. He's not a good man. He's not a prophet. If he's not the son of God, then he's not a good man and he's not a prophet. When we trust him, we experience life. Men have tried to destroy God's truth, but they have failed. The truth, or the word of truth still stands. Verse five says it's the word of truth. The word of truth, which is the gospel that is here to save your very soul. That's what it's about. Everybody has faith in something, but faith is only as good as the object in which a person puts its faith. It's the object of our faith. Turn to uh, uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. I shared this verse, I believe, yesterday in verse 6. Hebrews eleven six. 6, it says, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Remember that the Bible says in Luke chapter 19 and 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. But once he has done his part of it, 
He's provided the salvation. And then we have this relationship with him. Then we seek him. We grow in our relationship with him. How do we do that? We grow in prayer and we grow in reading the word and and applying what we have learned. It's not enough just to read it. James says, if you look at your um, uh, the word of God and, and you learn the word of God and you don't apply it, it's like a man looking into a mirror and then he walks away and forgets what he looks like. We need to apply the word of God. The pagans worship a God of stone. The educated many times worship money or possessions or intelligence or status. In, in all those cases, faith is empty. The true Christian believer has faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is based on the word of truth. Any other kind of faith is but superstition. It cannot save. It cannot save. How many people have put their faith in a certain stock or a certain job or a certain relationship or a certain job? And all of these things um, are not bad in themselves, but we put more faith in them than we put in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're bound to fail because God will have no other that he shares with. He doesn't share. doesn't share his throne. We are co-heirs with Christ, but he will not share. He will not have us worship him and others as well. The gospel, it's the message of God's grace. Two words, and you need to write these down. Two words in the Christian vocabulary are often confused. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. God in his grace gives me what I do not deserve. That's grace. God in his grace gives me what I do not deserve. That's grace. And God in his mercy does not give me what I do deserve. That's mercy. Grace, I get what I do not deserve. Mercy, I do not get what I do deserve. Those are different. It's it's important that we understand that. Grace is God's favor is shown to undeserving sinners. The reason the gospel is good news is because of grace. God is willing and able to save all who trust in him. Turn to Romans chapter 5, and I am running out of time quickly. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Let me finish with this quote. John Selden, who lived from 1584 to 1654, was a leading historian and a legal authority in England. He had a library of 8,000 volumes and was recognized for his learning. When he was dying, he said to Archbishop Usher, I have surveyed most of the learning that is among the sons of men, and my study is filled with books and manuscripts on various subjects. But at present, I cannot recollect any passage out of all my books and papers whereupon I can rest my soul, save this one from the sacred scriptures. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Let me pray for us. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.